I'm Dave Rubin and this is The Rubin Report. Quick reminder everybody to subscribe to our YouTube channel and click that pesky notification bell. And joining me today is an author and a teaching pastor, Nathan Finocchio. Welcome to The Rubin Report. Hey, it's good to be here, Dave. I'm glad to have you, sir, because as you probably know, I, I do some talking to people of faith, people uh, uh, that are skeptics, people that are somewhere in between, and I always find these to be sort of the most interesting conversations that I have. So before we do anything about what you're doing now, tell me a little bit about your journey to faith. Yeah, so uh, I'm the son of a preacher man. My dad has been in the ministry as long as I could remember. Um, and I've sort of just fallen into it, to be quite honest. I, I tried to kind of not necessarily run the other way, but do something else and sort of just caught up to me. You know, it's like, you know, so just kind of uh, this is what I do now because it's just kind of what I what I know. But I do. Um, I do, you know, have a, I've always had a kind of strong faith in God. I just never saw myself as the ministerial type because, you know, like people of faith, I guess, spiritual leaders, they kind of have a type. In my, in my opinion, they're, they're, my opinion, they're, they're kind of square and <laughs> they stay home on Friday nights and play Scrabble with grandma. And it's just not what I wanted to do with my life, you know. Hey, don't knock Scrabble, man. Everybody loves Scrabble. Look, I take that back, okay? Scrabble is great, and grandma's wonderful. Uh, well, to your point, though, you kind of, it's like, well, wait a minute, look at this guy. He doesn't really look like a pastor. And then on the other hand, you look like sort of a modern Jesus. So you're, you're sort of doing right. a little everything over there. Um, it's, you know, it's a work in progress. <laughs> um, did you, on the way, you said you did a little something uh, before going into this, even though you came from a family of faith. Uh, was the faith part always there, or did you mean that you deviated from that too, or or did you just mean that sort of career-wise or something else? I just meant that sort of career-wise. Yeah, I, I I was doing music um, for about eight years, and um, so yeah, it's kind of doing that, and things just didn't work out the way I kind of wanted them to work out, and I sort of went back to uh, went back to the family farm, so to speak, and so I'm just kind of been doing ministry now for the last. Gosh, I don't know, uh, last six years. So if somebody said to you sort of lay out what your belief system is, what mm -hmm. would that be kind of broadly speaking? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a confessional Christian. Um, that's what I'd say. I'm uh, in the uh, kind of the brand of Christianity that I'm or the stream that I flow in. It's more of a Pentecostal Christianity, you know, so we're the ones that, um, I mean, I've never handled a snake before, but that's what kind of what Pentecostals <laughs> are known for, you know, tambourine destroying Pentecostals. We're the ones that when you go to our churches on the weekend, um, it's kind of like a rock concert. Um, uh, so we've got lasers and, you know, we, we kind of attract a younger crowd. Uh, but our idea basically is that we have a, a historic Orthodox confessional um christian doctrine so we believe that the stuff that the church has always believed um and we confess and we profess that uh but the, we wrap it up um in sort of a modern um in a modern vibe yeah do you get a lot of pushback on that sort of i've seen this in a few different versions where there's you know the sort of belief that you just have to have the belief and the 
the orthodoxy and, and the conservative look at religion. And then you bring in music, you bring in lasers, you bring in bands and all sorts of other stuff. And people, a certain set of people will think that that will kind of erode the original message. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's utter and total ridiculousness. Um, basically, I mean, look at Vatican III uh, and kind of what the Catholic Church has done. Like, is having services in English somehow diminish the Catholic Church's, you know, their their message? No, it doesn't. So that's essentially what we're doing. Where whereas they're just they're for them progress is translating the mass from Latin to English. For us, we're we're doing exactly that. We're translating the message. But like, the, you know, the, the currency I think of our generation is music and the arts. And so that's kind of how we uh, we communicated that language. Right. So sort of speaking of music and the arts, what kind of put you on my radar is that uh, Justin Bieber is a, a member of the church. I, I don't want you to get into any any specifics about anyone that goes to the church. But but what do you sense um, is happening with people of his age related to belief? There does seem to be something going on. You know, Kanye's running these services now. And, you know, as you just said, it's sort of related to music and culture and something else. It's not what we think of when we just think of like the traditional religious perspective. Yeah, 100 percent. I think that people, you know, you mentioned Justin and Kanye. Um, as far as I know, they had church upbringings. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of people come up in the church. Um, I know Justin for a fact did. Um, I went to I, I spoke at his home church in Canada. I'm actually Canadian. I've I grew up 45 minutes from where he grew up. Um, so I, I know, like, I mean, Elvis, for crying out loud, you know, came up in the church. It's, it's not uncommon in the American story that people in the arts come up in church and then they kind of leave the small town and they go do big musical things. So, um, but in terms of a return, um, I mean, we saw it even in Elvis's career, you know, the only album they'd ever won a Grammy for. Uh, was for his gospel record. So there's something, I think, intrinsic to um, Americana and the church and music. Um, so it's a pretty common common theme. Why you know, millennials and Gen Zers are, are, re are reconnecting with the church or connecting for the first time to faith? Uh, I think large in part due to the failure, you know, perhaps of, of of secularism, it it doesn't work, um, and there's questions I I think that that it's attempted to answer that it hasn't answered, and that's why you'll even see guys like Sam Harris, who have become spiritual, not in any sort of orthodox sense, but an awareness that maybe there is something out there that are, we connect to in soul and spirit, etc. Um, so I think we have something to offer people um, that is that is reasonable. Um, um, and that is also experiential. So one of the things that I've been talking about on the show a lot lately is that I think a lot of the problems we're having is that we seem to be reaching the end of secularism, which I think is sort of what you're alluding to, that when you get to the end of pure secularism with nothing else outside of itself, that everything's on the table again, and we don't know if men are men and women are women, and we're debating destroying you know, our past in the name of some utopian future and the mm -hmm. rest of it. Do you see that as just like the natural kind of outgrowth of what, of what a purely secular society is? Yeah, I think, 
Um, gosh, you know, without getting into a huge history lesson, um, what I would call, I think there's two types of, of there's two types of people in our churches right now. Okay, there's we would what we would make might call leftists, um, and a secular might be a secularist might be a, a better term. Um, but and then we have, you know, for lack of a better term, a conservative, which I can't stand the term, but um, but just using generalizations and. What I think has happened as a society is that we, we have an epistemological crisis. That's kind of what happened, what has happened. Because secularism is the idea essentially that material is the only thing that you can touch. And we, could all, we should all live together in our material society. Um, and let's forget about things that are, not, are non-material like spirituality. Because those things will just divide us. And it, it's kind of, it kind of works out at first. But then... Um, it begins to hammer down everybody into just material and people aren't just material and the world isn't just material. There's a lot more to it um, than that. And so we have this epistemology that's kind of developed from secularism. And that epistemology is essentially you know, like when you um, when we got rid of a traditional authority, which, you know, traditional authorities like kings and, you know, the, the priests and church and not that they weren't you know, commit like doing bad things and that there were there, there was reason for them to for us to be suspicious of it. And so we did away with it. It's sort of like now that we have no traditional authority, the self has become the locus of of everything. Like the, we're the locus of interpretation. And so there's a great deal of pressure on people to know everything. That's why, like in our culture, we have you have to self-authenticate, you have to self-help, you need to build up the self, and you need to be the best version of yourself because nobody out here is going to help you, and you can't trust anybody. And so, what happens is that experience now becomes like it becomes the highest metric in a world where there's no authorities that can be trusted. And so, in the church, we have people that are coming in, and right, they're, they're like. It's all about experience. And so that's, I think, where, the, where you know, to borrow from James Lindsay, that's where a positional epistemology becomes so massive. And we we're dealing with it with churches right now. So it's like, you know, people love the idea of Jesus, but the, the, the scriptures to which, so Christians, we appeal to an external authority. We believe that, we believe things about reality um, that, that, that are just kind of, they're incompatible with most kids that are coming in like kids that are coming in are going reality is my experience but christianity is going reality is what god says in the scriptures and so that's it's kind of it's and it's very similar to um that's why i think that christianity will save western civilization because we might be the last ones who believe in science which would be hilarious um <laughs> you know so but just the idea that yeah, we believe that that truth exists externally like imagine that that religious fanatics believe that truth exists externally, Dave. Right? We believe in what we might call phenomenological transcendence. The idea that like a tree isn't—you can't just call a tree whatever you want to call a tree. You know, a tree is real, and if you want to go ahead and drive your car into that tree, you will experience phenomenological transcendence. You will experience that. But rather, why don't you live your life like there are things that exist outside of you? And for us, as a, a, the way that we appeal to, to Christians, and we try to, you know, kind of try to convert them to Christianity, because Christianity, Christianity is this thing that's like we—it's reasonable. We believe that truth is external. It, it, it's not all about you and your experiences. It's also about some things that 
you know, that God has said in his word. And so morality isn't just kind of whatever you want it to be or however you want to paint it. This it's, it's, you know, God who created you. He has some opinions. He's God. It is what it is. And so you need to, you know, does that make sense? So, so it's an epistemological yeah. war that the church is in. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, you gave me about five roads there that we could shoot off of. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to come around to all of them or, or get them let's, into something. Let's do there. it but all. First, well, <laughs> I'll see if I can do it. Uh, but first, you mentioned James Lindsay, who I've had on the show, of course, who wrote the yeah. book with, uh, with Peter Bogosian about how to have important conversations. Um, one of the things that I'm sort of amazed by, by the sort of James Lindsay, Peter Bogosian, uh, Michael Shermer, the more, I would say, left-leaning, largely atheist crew, is that many of them are suddenly going, you know, all those religious people we were screaming about, they're not so bad. And they're appearing on stage with religious people. Um, they're, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but just about six or eight months ago, uh, I was on stage in front of 14,000 students at Liberty University with Jerry Falwell Jr. right next to me, and it was just absolutely incredible. And sure, we have some differences. We have some uh, theological differences. We have some, you know, spiritual differences and political differences, but no, nobody cared. Everybody was thrilled. It was wonderful. Um, yeah. But I'm curious what you think about that, the fact that some of the sort of main drivers of, of secularism are suddenly looking at you guys, basically, and going, huh. You're you're a lot nicer than than that other crew over there, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's just modern intersectionalism um, that we're strange bedfellows. I think that we have a very similar epistemology, and that's why we actually argue. Dave, you you, you can't argue with people that you don't have the same epistemology with. We have the same epistemology as atheists. Like we we do have demands <laughs> of of. Um, we have demands of literature, and we, 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 we come at things believing that there are external forces to appeal. The difference being that an atheist would believe in, in, in a strictly material universe. But, but material is super important to Christians as well. And the idea that truth lives externally, is, it's, it's really important to us as well. So I think that, yeah, we find ourselves on the same aisle with respect to our epistemology. And... You know this about, I mean, Christians aren't perfect, and, you know, we've slain our thousands, and we've made some massive mistakes, and one of my favorite quotes of a Christian theologian is St. Augustine, who said that the church is a whore, but she's my mother. We're aware, Dave, of the things that have happened in history that are stupid. There's a lot of people who have used the scripture to do some really stupid things, um, but yeah, we find ourselves now, um, you know, debating with people who we have the same epistemology. We can't. I can't have a conversation with you if you can't define reality the way that I define reality. And so, to me, once again, it's an it's an epistemological factor. Do you sense young people that are that are showing up now? Sure, the the lights and the music is something, and and you're explaining sort of 
the end of secularism, so they feel that there's a hole there. Um, but do you do you sense just like in the last couple of years, maybe because of the culture war, because of social media, that the hole that they have seems to be way bigger, uh, that it's maybe not just spiritual, but it's also very community-based. You know, we got all of these tools and apps and we thought it was gonna make us more connected. And in many ways, social media made us anti-social and now people are trying to find community in, in oddly more traditional ways, whether there's lasers or not. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. I remember um, there was a book written in the 90s by a guy named Putnam and talked. It, the, the title was Bowling Alone. And it sort of was a sociological book just looking at uh, the erosion of community in America, you know, beginning with the bowling leagues, you know, and how like bowling <laughs> leagues were like, they replaced church for, you know, my grandfather's generation. Um, and And now, yeah, that's gone. So there's definitely... There's definitely a sociological factor. I think that, to be quite honest with you, the sociological factor may very well be one of the, the, the biggest factors in the church. We're all, we understand the value of community. We believe theologically that we're not made to be alone. There was one thing in the garden that was wrong. A lot of people think that, you know, in, in that Genesis story, that God creates this garden and it's, it's like, it's perfect, it's paradise. Well, it's not, it was optimal for living. And the one thing that was wrong was that Adam was alone. And so, uh, you know, he creates Eve. And, and so we're created for one another and we need one another desperately. So that's definitely a tenet of our faith. Um, and there's definitely a sociological it factor to church. Um, and yeah, there's a giant hole. I, I also believe that um, there's this um, there's this book written by a Pulitzer Prize winner. I think his name is Ernest Becker. Um, and the title of it was The Denial of Death. And he was in his book, he's, he's an atheist, and he sort of is looking at secularism and kind of what it's done in, in modernity. And he believes that, like, with the death of God, society sort of is just like, okay, well, now I, I because I, I need somebody to validate my reality, to validate my existence, to see me, because we need to be seen as human beings. And that's why we need relationship. And so he believed that the first option that modern stride was the love option um in that you know and, and that's why everybody talks about having the one finding the one like like 300 years ago like love wasn't the reason why you got married you know like but now we put all this emphasis and that's why we have apocalyptic hookup culture you know in new york because we're all, all trying to find god <laughs> you know and, and for somebody to validate <laughs> your your living um, so to me, that's what the church are you does. saying? God, are you saying God's not on Tinder? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, he's definitely on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's definitely searching for people. <laughs> he's going after the, the, he's left the 99 and going after the one. Um, so I, I, I think that, um, I think that what you said is absolutely right in a roundabout way. I think that, you know, we're, we're looking for love. We're looking for romance. Um, and I think we've, you know, in, in, a, in a strange way, we do find it in community. We find that validation that we, we, we need. Um, but, but in a, in a more spiritual sense, Dave, yeah, we found, we find it in God and that he, uh, and that's what I believe. And that's what we teach. We teach that God's the one who sees you. He's the one who uh, goes after you. He's, you're not the one who's been going after him, but he's been the one that's been pursuing you because he knows you. He knows how to get to you and he loves you. And for so when people sort of 
when that settles them, um, there's a lot of things in their life that change and being a part of a community uh, is, is definitely one of them. Yeah, so before you mentioned the sort of lefty versus conservative uh, demographics that you're dealing with in the church, um, so as we've watched this culture war just like explode all over the place, I know that all sorts of churches, temples, virtually every organization, secular or not, is dealing with some sort of like internal split over how to deal with everything that's happening these days, literally from coronavirus to Black Lives Matter and everything in between. Uh, yeah. what, what version of that are you seeing these days? Yeah, uh, there's definitely a, a political part of, of everything. I mean, dude, this is insane. Like, I, it's insane. I keep on telling my friends this. I'm sure that all your friends are just going, what is, what is happening in 2020? Um, you know, for there, there's a there's a there's a conversation in the church right now politically about the threshold of um, the threshold of religious liberty versus um, you know government needing to you know keep it, uh, uh, tabs and and a lid on coronavirus um, and so we're kind of I guess exploring that threshold. Um, you know, you got people who. Uh, that's 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 that absolutely fine falls along ideological lines right so there's there's seems like there's two types of americans there's ones that want to they they, they have a, a huge trust in the government my wife is one of them. my wife is an australian i'm a canadian but my wife is like she trusts the government she's just like they are you know they love us and i want to be she told me last night she's like i want to be nannied i'm like my god woman um <laughs> no just a uh, <laughs> i'm like have you read Good luck history? with all of that totally um so there you got my my wife jasmine and then you got me and i'm like the most distrusting uh you know uh person of of government because yeah i you know like they uh who are these angels you know like the old argument who are these angels that are going to make all these right decisions for us so there's a, that's a huge conversation of the church and that alone dave was tearing us apart Right, like so, you got like pastors like calling up pastors and people calling up people like in the in the faith community just being like, you need to trust the government. Authorities from God, and then um, and then now you have of course, uh, you know George Floyd's death, which was horrific and tragic, um, and uh, you have Black Lives Matter, um, the organization um, that's kind of uh, occupied some space. In wake of the George Floyd killing and then Ahmaud Arbery, um, because it it looks um, it looks from social media that young black men are being hunted down and killed. Um, so so yeah, you have this major space, and it's it, this is another thing that's kind of dividing us right now. It's just like the narrative to believe and um, and what we ought to do about it and. And regardless of if you if you believe the narrative or not, you know Christians are called to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Um, so finding that threshold of going, okay, I, I might not agree with the political narrative, but I'm called to uh, to stand alongside you know people who are in my life that, regardless of whether I not whether or not I believe that they are their emotions are rooted in any kind of reality. And I'm arguing from a you know if you're a conservative, you know like. I have, a, I have a responsibility towards them to love them. You know, like my wife is, is terrified of airplanes. Um, it's not rooted in anything logical at all. 
Um, but I'm the one that's stuck pulling the bag and comforting her and getting her Xanax when we're on a flight. And, you know, so there's an element of that if you're a conservative uh, that you have a, a responsibility towards the people that you're in community with and you're living life with. And, you know, you know, quoting stats at my wife doesn't help her flight anxiety, <laughs> you know, like. Right. So finding how, that how threshold worried are is the mess right now. Yeah. How, how worried are you, though, that letting in this sort of different, what I would call a religious belief system, social justice, that once it enters the institution, enters the church, that in many ways it will just, it will rot from the inside all of the good things that you've been talking about. I mean, this is what we've sort of seen happen to every secular institution. It's happening to the New York Times, it's happening to the Washington Post, it's happening to Harvard and Princeton and all of our liberal institutions. Um, so I'm sort of fascinated where, with this idea that it could be entering you know, sort of conservative or religious institutions and that they may not even have the correct defense mechanisms to, to purge it or keep it yeah, at bay. That's, that's exactly what's happening. So it's not necessarily, so for me, I've tried to dance this line where like, you know, the idea of Black Lives Matter, it's like, it's an idea, it's a saying. I've, I've sort of divorced it from the organization. Um, they don't like that, but I've divorced it from the organization because, you know, yeah, black lives do matter. And so if there are instances of where, you know, there's police brutality that doesn't seem to fit, you know, the rest of it. I mean, you know, as, if, as we as we examine the data, that's one of the big ones. We know that, that you know, the uh, Harvard Rowlands, um, uh, his paper, and we know like the study that was done. Uh, Heather McDonald obviously lays this all out. But one of the things that I have a giant question mark over is the, the police brutality part. Um, I don't know if we're nailing that you know, well. And so uh, let's say that you're like me where you're going, okay, the, the shooting part, you know, there's, no, there's no racial bias that's been detected by three major studies. Um, but police brutality, do you have a question on that? Like why are 30% of blacks being you know, accused of resisting arrest? Are they resisting arrest? Is that what's happening or are the police you know, being um, antagonistic uh, towards them or whatever. So, so let's let's just say, for example, that there is some antagonism and it needs to be dialed back. <clears throat> um, so I stand with my brother who feels he's he's terrified. Okay, and he's and he's like Nate. You know, like I just feel like Black Lives Matter. Okay, man, Black Lives Matter. Okay, I'm with you. Black Lives. Like I'll say that. Now the organization. <laughs> They believe in the denuclearization of the family, which is doing yeah. nobody a service, particularly the black community in America. Right. So. Um, so. So for me, obviously, I have some fatter theological concerns to fry, um, but I'm walking this line where I'm in community with 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 my black uh, brothers and sisters. And so. Um, so for me, like, once again, I. I have a concern about critical theory. Critic, this, this whole, this whole, everything that's happening right now, I believe is a Trojan horse. I believe that that um, that James Lindsay and how he described it as a Trojan horse, he's exactly right on. It's coming into mm -hmm. our churches. Um, dude, the division that it's causing right now is insane because, like you said, it's another gospel. It's another religion. It's like uh, because once again they have a, their own epistemology. So the way that they discover truth. 
is is from a positional standpoint. So so how do I respond to that? It's 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 almost an impossible dance, but I have to show rational compassion, not empathy, because empathy uh, is you know as as we've seen in the last like 10 15 years in psychology it's dangerous and your biases come into empathy i have to have what's called rational compassion so i have to reasonably move through the data move through the things that are happening using my christian worldview and frame and framework and my epistemology you know and go and then as i'm checking these these movements and going okay these are their demands right because everything has a demand we demand that you know that you overhaul uh you know james says you know you can't tear down the master's house the master's tools so we have to completely change how we structure not not, not just way, the way we structure our church organization but we also demand that like the way that you go about finding truth changes as well and so at that point um for me I, i'm not going to fight peripherals like in any good argument, you always argue first principles. You don't argue peripherals. And so for me, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement, when it comes to the things that are happening on the streets and the protests, et cetera, I'm not going to. There are some things that I think that are peripheral. And as conservatives, we get a little bit sidetracked by. And so to me, the critical theory thing, and this is why I think James Lindsay um, is just so on the money right now, is because it's the you, you don't go after the fruit. You go after the root. And to me, critical theory is the root of this giant problem. It's it's the reason why the, the political narrative has been spun the way it is. And so to me, that's that's what I'm going after while holding the hand of people that are hurting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost an impossible uh, place to put yourself because you're yeah. trying to hold something. You're trying to be open. You're trying to retain ideas and and also not put people down it, it's tough what, what do you make of this idea so, so you hit on that that critical theory whatever you cultural marxism whatever you want to call this thing that it's religious in nature one of the one of the facets that i'm constantly amazed by is there's no forgiveness in this thing that basically if you're white or you're cisgendered or you're christian or whatever you're privileged and thus bad and that really you just have to pay penance your whole life you have to live on your knees your whole life where most religions have some level of forgiveness right you can actually atone for your sins and hopefully be a better person on the other side this thing doesn't have that this thing has oh well, live like a slave forever, in effect. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so in in critical theory, you're sort of guilty, um, you know, before proven innocent. Um, so everybody's guilty. Um, and as James Lindsay, you know, has, has observed in in, in his findings, um, all of the critical theorists believe essentially that if you want, even even you know, for example, if I want to be Somebody accused me of problematic allyship yesterday. And I'm going, but that's the whole point. The whole point is that I can never be truly an ally. My my allyship is always going to be problematic. Um, there's, you know, like, so there's no there's no there's no end to it. It just continues um, mm. to be um, what it is. So, uh, yeah, they 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 don't forgive because there's nothing to forgive because I'm stuck in I'm stuck in the oppressor group. If I'm stuck in the oppressor group and there's no escaping it, there can be no forgiveness if there's no repentance, right? Like, isn't that how it works? 
so that I'm just perpetually a sinner and I'm just going to continue to perpetuate the oppressor group and there's nothing that I can do. Yeah. So that's why, of course, cancel culture is actually the logical conclusion of critical theory. Right. It's the logical conclusion that to be consistent logically, they have to uh, be consistent in their cancel culture because they have to get rid of the oppressor class. I hate to tell you, I think it's beheadings is the logical conclusion. Cancel culture <laughs> right. is just cancel culture is just a stop on the way, but yeah. we can sort of leave that. Just for, for you personally dealing with this, um, the idea that everything's become political, and in many ways I think people used to go to have religious experiences regardless of the religion, they would go there to escape politics. That that religion sort of offered them that, you know, that separation from the real world to to think of something timeless, something like that, um, to see it all seep in, just for you as a leader of a community, how's that been on you? Um, yeah, so, so, so one of the things that I do um, in my role is I travel to, to, to a number of churches. I, I don't, I'm, like the, I'm not the lead pastor um, in, a, in a right. community, but I go to all of the different communities um, and I, I speak at, at a number of churches. And so what is it, what is it like? Well, um, yeah, people are, people don't get <laughs> churches supposed to be a place where they like hear about the love of God for them. And they hear about the sacrifice that, you know, and, and they, they re, uh, remember the Lord's uh, passion, et cetera. And so it's kind of become in some circles, in some churches, the gospel has totally become about current events. Um, and I think that that's definitely problematic. Um, you know, it, it, it definitely become problematic where, where um, in Christianity, we teach essentially that everybody's a priest. In fact, um, the Protestant Reformation happened because one of you know, Martin Luther's 95 problems with the Catholic Church was that you had to have a priest to connect with God. And the New Testament is replete with scriptures about the priesthood of the believer. And so what this necessarily means for Protestants like me is that every believer is supposedly coming to church to be a priest. It's what you literally do. So you come to what a priest do. They minister to the Lord and they minister to others. But like when you come to church and it's a lesson on critical theory, you know, and, and there's like there's no escape. Um, I think that people aren't able to do their job as a Christian. Uh, I, I think that that it's it's really tough to glorify God and to worship God when it's like you're in a you're in a perpetual classroom and there's just doubt and there's confusion and and I think that one of my the biggest frustrations for me is that I, I don't think that a lot of church leaders have their pulse on this epistemological issue. So mm -hmm. it's just it's washing it like. Pastors are good people and they love people. And so from that good place of going, I love people, they're probably going, we need to talk about this because this, this is a real, this is, this, is, this is where the rubber hits the road. But problematically, if you're not, you don't have your, your pulse on culture and understanding the undercurrents epistemologically, you know, you're, you're creating a lot of confusion for people. So that's absolutely what's happening. Do you think certain religious denominations and certain sects within religions are just better at keeping some of this stuff at bay? So it seems to me it's not perfect, but like something like Orthodox Jews, let's say, have really kept this at bay in a way that conservative or reformed Jews haven't been able to. Or evangelicals, I think, have done a pretty good job at keeping it at bay. 
Um, do you think that there are like certain strengths and weaknesses from a Protestant perspective or, uh, or another denomination perspective that makes certain worldviews a little more able to stand up to these things? Absolutely. So it's a focus, um, it's a focus on, on their purpose. Like why, does ortho, why do Orthodox Jews exist, right? Like they know why. Um, and I mean, look right down sometimes to the way that they dress. Like they're in this world, but they're not of this world, sort of as Jesus said. Um, and so I think that that they do a really great job, you know, of like focusing on their community and focusing on the reasons why they exist. Um, so there's a there is a definitely a balance to be certain. Well, see, when I look at Jesus, and it's, once again, this is an epistemological issue. But when I look at Jesus, I don't look at somebody who is necessarily engaged in the politics of his day. I think that, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. And so he had a little bit of a, I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. Um, does that mean that we don't engage in issues of justice? No, doesn't mean that we don't. I think that marching with Martin Luther King was the right thing to do um, during the civil rights. And, and um, you know, uh, I think that defeating Hitler was probably a good thing to do. Um, you know, like, so there's, there's, the ch I think that the church doesn't run from things, but it's, it's finding, it's sifting through the things that we should engage in, how we should engage and the threshold of that. And it's a conversation that we're having right now. And uh, yeah, evangelicals probably have done a really great job because evangelicals are a bit more heady. Pentecostals are probably a bit more, we lean a bit more experiential. Hmm. Um, and so I'm a, um, that's, you know, I, I, I wish that Pentecostals, you know, were a bit more like evangelicals and, and uh, in that they they sifted, they had their, you know, like Albert Muller, you know, he he's the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he set out, he sent out a, a letter on critical theory to all of the pastors and going, hey, guys, this is what's happening. Like, but Pentecostalism is a bit of the wild, wild west in, in Christianity. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but we've only, only been around for 120 years. and we uh there's 750 million of us and we're the fastest growing version of christianity in the world like we're, we're going to eclipse we're going to eclipse catholicism in 50 years um so um so our brand of christianity in terms of filling stadiums and people singing our songs and all that stuff it's a it's it's a big place and it's like it is the battleground for christian expression and that finding that threshold of where politics are and what Christianity is going to look like, et cetera. So Pentecostals don't, we don't have, um, we don't have like a, a, a grand Pumbaa, like an Albert Moeller or like a Jerry Fowler or whatever, who kind of dictates to us or will tell us, Hey guys, this is what's coming. To, we're, we're very, very much independent. So because of that, because of the nature of that, and because we're so experiential and because we're so kind of up on the culture, it's a mess right now, but nobody knows what to believe, but we know that people are hurting. And so we're going to run towards people because we're experiential and people are having these experiences. So we're going to love them. But that the rational part of our compassion seems to be a bit missing. And we're unawares to what is really inside this Trojan horse. Yeah, well, that's why exactly why I wanted to have this conversation, because I just see this happening across the board. And I'm, I'm fascinated when I see it in communities that I'm not necessarily part of. It's incredible. So when you see things like, uh, you're in California too, our, our wonderful progressive governor, Gavin Newsom, 
you know, basically telling people that they can't sing in church because that can spread, you know, COVID. And then, you know, our mayor here in LA, Garcetti, is out there with no mask on, kneeling in front of protesters, and then also tells us we can't have Fourth of July celebrations or, you know, we got to stay in our house. All of these just crazed, conflicting messages. Do you think that also is just a driver for religion? Like, it seems like they're specifically attacking religion at some level, right? You see de Blasio locking up playgrounds for Orthodox Jews to kids to go to, but then he's out there in the streets with protesters, that there seems to be like an actual assault on religion. And then at the same time, it's like everything they send us is mixed messages. So it's like, ah, maybe that's a little paranoid. Yeah, no, I think that you're right. And to be honest with you, I feel like it's been open season on Jews for some time now. Um, and, and I think that that's definitely, there's a, that, that falls along a, a particular political aisle, um, whether we care to admit it or not. Um, with respect to Christians and houses of worship, yeah, like we Americans believe in peaceful assembly and the right to assemble um, and you know freedom of religion. And so there's once again, you know, there's exploring that threshold of who you can tell to that to gather. You know, for example, like um, a, a popular pastor down here in California, Jensen Franklin, uh, made a statement about this on his social media three days ago. And like all hell broke loose in Pentecostal Christendom. And Jensen was just like, hey, like, I feel like this is a bit arbitrary. And they're telling churches that we can't. And but Jensen marched with protesters and he goes, look, I marched. So I, um, you know, I, I was there. And what I'm saying, though, is I think it's arbitrary to allow people to protest and not allow people to sing in church. And it's just. It's like a powder. That can. seems it's that just, seems rational to me. That seems right. Sensible. Hundred. But you're saying no. not everyone operates in sense. Right. And people screaming. Right. Like so. Like if you can scream in a mask right beside somebody, um, or you can sing in a mask. You know, people are going. It's about droplets. Yeah, hundred percent. But that's what people the people are screaming. So it's like, um. So I just think that like the concern about COVID nineteen, in some ways, is like a little bit. It's miss. <laughs> it's. I have so many friends who've had COVID-19, right? Like you have a 98.8% chance of surviving this thing if you're under the age of 40. Okay. So like, but it's all, it all seems to be young people, um, young progressives who are, are, you know, screaming at Jensen, <laughs> young Christian progressives going, you know, how dare you bring the protesters into this? You know, I'm not, I, I marched, but don't you see this is a bit arbitrary. Um, and then he said, and then he said, you know, make sure that you vote your faith this uh, this fall. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So it's just like, you know, you know, you telling us to vote now and who to vote for. And I don't know, dude, it's 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 a mess. And um, but I think that once again, I think it doesn't fall along necessarily faith lines, but it would fall along ideological lines in terms of what type of <clears throat> government do you want do you want a government that is overreaching or do you want a government who is going to just allow churches and allow people to do what they want to do and, and you know i mean as far as i know dave hasn't it been that every single high court has ruled that these governors overreach of churches has been unconstitutional is that correct 
I don't know if it's every single one, but I've seen several of them. Yeah, they're they're yeah. technically. I mean, they should look. We have a Fourth Amendment. We have the right to assemble. So the idea right. that Newsom's saying you can't do it in church, but you can do it on the streets, it's simply not constitutional. Yeah. So I think that I think that this type of stuff will galvanize uh, galvanize a particular brand of Christian Christians. But once again, in Pentecostalism, you know, our epistemology is has already kind of been experiential and positional. Our church definitely is split right down the line in terms of um, how people will vote, how people see, like like my wife. My wife wants to be nannied. Um, God bless her. I don't. <laughs> so you see that we have some serious, you know, I'm married to her. Okay. So like we have some serious, um, we have some fat fish to fry. All right, then I, I only got one more for you because we've, we've talked about sort of the strife and, and everything that's got us here and everything else. But as a man of faith in a, in a crazy time that we're in, um, give me something hopeful if you got it. What, you know, sort of a, an outlook that gets us past this and, and how do we get to something that will start feeling a little more, maybe, well, maybe feeling isn't the right word, that will create a reality that will be a little more in line with some of the things that we've talked about here. That are the good things. Yeah. So I think that there are only um, us, us Christians believe that Jesus is going to come back, and He is going to rule and reign on the earth forever. That's that's what we believe. So until that happens, I think that there's going to continue to be chaos. I, now, God has given us. We believe in this doctrine called common grace, where we believe that God has given men faculty and reason. And I believe that one of the ways that we can limit uh, the effects of the fall and the effects of sin and the effects of brokenness is by limiting government. So, yeah, like what is what is the hope for things to maybe get better? Ultimately, the return of Christ and the gospel, you know, that God that God will heal the world. And when he heals the world, then he becomes president. There's no more elections. His, his government will be so good that it will be cause for praise eternally. Um, until that happens, um, I think that limiting people's ability <laughs> uh, is probably our greatest hope. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think that the scriptures necessarily paint some sort of utopian, you know, let's bring the kingdom down to earth right now before Jesus comes back. And the, the scriptures aren't redemptive necessarily that way in terms of things are going to get better. Things probably will get worse. Um, just be, just knowing humanity. Humanity needs a savior. The world is broken. And I think that we can all agree about that. But I don't think the fix is more people. The fix is Jesus Christ. He always has been. And um, I think that uh, when he comes back and he's king, we'll be okay. And I think that that's actually great hope. Like, here's, here's some hope. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in somebody who, um, whose, whose rulership and his kingdom will be good for everybody. So that's, those are my, that's my two thoughts. All right, you took us out on some hope. Now, in good conscience, I can't send people to Twitter after a conversation like this. Where can people go to find out a little bit more about you and what you do? Uh, they can go to my Instagram, Nathan Finocchio. Um, and uh or nathan my website nathanfinocchio.ca because i'm a canadian and um 
you know, they can hate on me. And if they have any uh, issues, if, if they have any problems with this program, just send an email to Dave Rubin at gmail.com. <laughs> I don't have that Gmail. So yes, they can send it there. All right, Nathan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And hopefully when the, all this stuff clears up, we'll be able to do this in person sometime. It was a pleasure, Dave. Thank you.